Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today we're talking about the documentary Follow the Money. Now, usually I have one person on it, and I've had two. Today we've got three guests on the podcast, calling from all corners of, I'm guessing, London. Um, so please introduce yourselves one at a time. Hello, uh, my name's John. Um, yeah. I'm one of the three directors of the film. Have you got a surname, John? I have Hardwick. Good man. <laughs> uh, my name's uh, Ben Unwin, and uh, likewise, one of the three directors of the film. Uh, my name's Steve Bogan. Um, I'm the chap who uh, wrote the book that was the, uh, if you like, the inspiration for the film. Okay. Uh, and you could say I sort of dragged along on the, the coattails of the professionals, John and Ben. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you, want, do you want to give give for the for the listener who 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 wants to give a synopsis of what Follow the Money is? John. Oh, mate. Okay. All right. So, Follow the Money is uh, it's a feature length documentary where three um, feckless middle aged men depart, set out from the UK to go and follow a ten dollar bill for one calendar month around the United States of America and thereby make a portrait of the American people that they meet along the way. Um, that really is the intention. We we made the film with a number of rules, rules inherited from Steve's book, which, as he pointed out, was the starting pistol for um, the, the whole endeavour. And the rules were... One, start in the dead centre of the geographic dead centre of the United States, which we could talk about a bit more later. Mm. Um, two, give the bill to a complete stranger. And three, follow it for 30 days and 30 nights. So basically, if you take on those three rules, you hopefully, after handing over the bill to the first recipient, don't make a decision for the next 30 days. Um, and by my book, that's a very lovely thing to do. Not to have to think, but just to have to follow, to borrow Steve's phrase, on the coattails of other people, really, and film them and just um, observe their life for a little while before the bill moves on and then meet the next person and start the process again. Steve, do you want to talk then about what, what was, how, how this idea was conceived then? What, what was it born out of? 
Uh, sure. Um, my day job, I'm a, a journalist, and um, the Guardian magazine contacted me a few years back mm. and asked if I thought it might be possible to follow um, a £10 note around uh, for a week or so. And my first instinct was to say no. I mean, I thought, you know, how, how could you possibly do that? Mm. Uh, but with a little thought, um, I realized that it really is just a, a question of manners. You know, you, you, if somebody's got a £10 note, before they spend it, you just say, look, would you mind if, uh, could I be there when you spend it? Um, and people generally are good sports, and everybody said yes. Anyway, it worked very well for that, um, but I just had such a good time that I had this idea in the back that um, it would be great to do it uh, on a more ambitious scale. And, of course, I just thought of a, a $10 bill and the United States of America. So um, I, I very foolishly told people I was going to do this. Uh, and then, of course, when push comes to shove, you, you chicken out, and I did about four times. And after about half a decade, I just got on a plane and, and, and buggered off and, and went and did it. Um, and I was about halfway through when John called me. Um, he uh, had had the, the presence of mind to realize that this would make a good, a good film. Hmm. Um, and he asked if I'd do it again when I got back. Uh, you know, and, and I just I said no, no way. <laughs> because at the time I was in some sort of you know half-assed, disgusting motel in a one-horse town in the Midwest, wondering why on earth I'd allowed myself to do this in the first place. Um, but when, when I got home, um, John and Ben um, talked me into it, and you know, being a, a lot wiser than me, uh, they were right. So how do you, when you're doing a documentary, like you say, you don't make any decisions. So what was the pre-planning that went into this to enable you to be able to make no decisions for a month? Um, there was, uh, do you want to say something about that, Ben? I was about to say, I didn't think there was any. Or any <laughs> <Me too>. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe John had a plan, but I don't know if I did, really. Yeah, I mean, I, my, my plan was just to take no more than three pairs of underpants. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I certainly uh, I, I don't know, John. What would you? I mean, I'd say it was really rather an organic process. Uh, I know that's an overused word, but for, as an example, I, I certainly never had any uh, inkling that I would appear in the film in any way, shape, or form. That was oh, never. Oh. Um, I don't know if John always knew that we would. I think he probably did. I think he just tricked us. But um, and it made sense. It was absolutely the right thing to do because it it became a conversation. The film between us and, uh, and and the people that we met along the way. And I don't think it would have worked any other way than it being a conversation. Um, but that you know that was something that surprised me. And in, I don't know if the rest of the guys feel this way, but for me, it, it kind of developed as it went along. Uh, and I'm still quite surprised by some of it, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was Stuart. I mean, these guys gave me a very, very sort of, um, a very simple camera. And within a few days, uh, I mean, I think this is right, isn't it, guys? In a few days, we developed this kind of choreography. It was almost like a dance, you know, as, as the music got handed over. Um, it came natural after a while. It was almost triangular filming. And, and I think if we'd have thought about that beforehand, um, we'd have just got ourselves tied up in knots. <clears throat> I mean, one thing we did give consideration to was that um, to get any level of uh, intimacy with the various owners of, of the bill, you know, we couldn't swamp them with too much kit. So <clears throat> we, we planned to be light with the kit. We had a lot of 
different cameras, you know. I suppose the best thing we had was a basic, slightly old-fashioned, even at that point, news-gathering camera, Panasonic 1000 or something, yeah. uh, through GoPros, or even shot on iPhones and uh, a flip and things like that, because we knew we'd have to run and gun and be very mobile and quick. And like Steve is saying, you know, sometimes three cameras were rolling because it, it was a very genuine documentary in the sense that things were only ever going to happen once, you know. We weren't going to ask people to stage or rephrase questions or anything like that. Um, nor did we want to blast people with big cameras or lights or anything like that because, and, and I think Steve pointed this out initially before we went, that, you know, in, in his travel book, which inspired the film, he's able to get close to people because it's just him meeting one other person or a couple and uh, a pen and a notepad. So we tried to, wherever possible, uh, be as light as possible for the same reasons. Um, and so there was some planning in terms of the kit that we had. Uh, I think the GoPro was something we gave some consideration to because we imagined we would be driving in cars yeah. quite often with people. So, so that was a good thing. And I guess, like Ben says, it being organic, as soon as you put a GoPro on, GoPro on the windscreen to film the person you're with, then you, because of the fisheye lens, you end up being in that picture as well, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was a lot of happenstance <clears throat> like that. Um, and other than that, um, Steve sorted out some flights and a kind of member of the tourist board in the first town that we were going to alight ourselves into. He made contact with them, so there was somebody to, you know, show us the ground. I got some basic insurance for the for the kit for the shoot, but obviously it's very unlike many other shoots that you can't storyboard, you can't cast, you can't... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, no, yeah. there's no point in location scouting. You don't, I mean, how do you permit somewhere where you don't know where you're going to be? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 so... So I think we all experienced a, a lovely sense of the unknown. And like Steve was saying, the, you know, people are very, particularly in America, I mean, they love to talk, they're great and they're open-minded and very accepting and wanting to share their stories, weren't they, fellas, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it... Yeah, I mean, I was quite... Whenever we've shown the film to anybody, one of the things that people have said is how surprised they are about what what people told us and you know obviously through the edit process and now having screened it in the states and stuff like that you know you, you think about how how did we achieve that and I, I don't i don't mean to, you know to sort of be big-headed about it but i think that basically came across you know sort of because we through our personalities and like john says because we weren't being like sort of bbc news people with like press written all over us or something like that I think the fact that we were having fun with it and we were on an adventure, I think that drew people into us and sort of built up a sense of trust. How, how much of what you were doing with the people you met in this kind of organic process was us kind of start a relationship off camera and then start filming, or was you start a relationship on camera? On camera. <laughs> as, as they received the money, they, the, the guys were filming as they received the money. Okay. So that was the best thing, mostly, that they knew about it. Wow. There was always a bit of... A, I mean, because at different times, I guess, you know, I mean, to us, I'm thinking about this now, but at different times, different, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily all three of us that started the conversation with somebody. Uh, you know, like, for instance, John 
I would say, really broke down those barriers with uh, Howard, the Native American guy. Mm. Uh, um, and, you know, I, for instance, got in the truck with Scott, you know, and, and Steve spoke to, you know, all, all, we all spoke to different people as we went along. Um, we didn't sort of suddenly barrage each person with, like, three of us surrounding them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I... You know, one guy who looked nervous about it, the way that I described it to him was like being a really polite form of stalking. <laughs> no, that seemed to work for him, you know. Uh, yeah. But for people, you, you you know, like I say, I think it was us being kind of friendly and being on this crazy adventure. And as John said, Americans kind of get that. They, they love crazy ideas, don't they? Well, I, th I think one of the things that comes out, and I mentioned this before we started, is is the idea of identity. Um, and I think that's something that Americans are a lot more kind of aware of in some senses than, than we would perhaps, although we did all joke about it, what football team we started, we supported yeah. at the start. Um, but, but in terms of America, I think that there, that there is a kind of an obsession to say who you are and what you are, you know, where you're from, even if that means, like in a lot of cases, the people you met, it means they've left where they've gone to go and find who they are. Um, as I mean, and it's interesting where you started. It's almost like you start in a very quiet part of America, the dead center, um, as it were, which is kind of interesting, just as a notion. You know, obviously, we look at America and and don't really and don't often see Alaska, but when you include it, obviously, where you were is 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 kind of north of the United States as we see it. <clears throat> but so you start off with a few people, and then the more the more your journey goes on, you get into. I guess you're ending up in more denser parts of the world, aren't you? You end up mm. in more built-up environments, so the pace of the film gets a bit uh, gets a bit quicker, um, and so the people you're meeting are, as, are almost as transient as you are in a way, aren't they? There's a, there's a lot of transience in the states, isn't there? I think yeah. there's a, I think there's more physical mobility in an individual's life in America somehow. It's certainly seemed like that every time I go to the States and I think all three of us for various reasons have been to the States a lot and uh, I, I don't know about the other guys but that's my experience of that there and I, I think you're right that people are very very proud in a way to share their stories with, with a stranger you know it's uh, we've all had that experience I think of being in America and you know sitting at a bar and you know you'll fall into conversation with people very easily and they will they will tell you some quite candid things about themselves mm. and their families and friends and how they got to be in the place that you're both sharing in that moment and I think that's um, something very appealing about that place I think it's I think it's amazing you know sometimes because, you know, for instance, we've just had conversations about, you know, being from Liverpool and, or Manchester and, 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 and living in London. And, you know, as British people, we often think that, I don't know, maybe, you know, moving from Glasgow to London has been quite a big jump. But you meet people in the States who, I mean, he, he, there was a guy that never made the film, just a, a, a taxi driver that we met uh, from Vietnam. And do you remember, guys, like he listed the places that he'd lived as an immigrant, and it was crazy. It was like, I've lived in North Dakota, I've lived in Texas, I've lived in San Francisco. And, you know, that's that's like the equivalent of us saying, you know, I lived in Istanbul, I lived in London, I lived in Germany. You know, I think, a lot, like John says, it's a, often it's a transient country. People will move and, you know, can live, move huge distances to then uh, to live somewhere completely different. Yeah, I think, I think in, the, in the Midwest as well, which is, um, you know, you always want to get a good start on a project. 
Yeah. Um, and in the Midwest, um, on a personal level, I just find there's this amazing lack of cynicism. You know, three guys walk into a bar in in the north of England or in Birmingham or in London, you know, with cameras and start saying to people, hey, we're going to follow you. Um, they'd get short shrift. You know, they'd be kicked out probably. Mm. You do that in the States. And, and people are sort of, in the Midwest in particular, they're, they're just genuine and honest. And, and they, they seem to have, um, um, well, they seem to see fewer bad motives in, in you. Whereas I think we're, we're a bit more wary in, in you know, highly um, dense populations uh, as to what people's motives are. Out there, there's just an openness, and, um, and we benefited from that. You know, I didn't think for a minute that, that on this particular trip, because of the cameras, because there were three of us, that anybody would invite us to stay in, in their homes, which hmm. they did me originally. But they did, didn't they, guys? We, we were in <coughs> Actually, we were strangers, three guys, come and stay in my house. I mean, it seems amazing, but it happened. I think I think one of the things that comes across strongly with the film is is your kind of empathy you have with everybody you meet. There isn't there isn't any cynicism in the film at all. It is it is like you like you say the process was organic, but actually your your own relationships with everybody that that I saw in the film seem to be let's take everything face value and go with what we get. Mm. As opposed to trying to, you were. I never got the sense at any point you were trying to scratch, scratch behind the surface. You were willing to let them tell you what they wanted, and and you've got some quite, you know, quite disparate, disparate experiences. I mean, there's, there's, there's from from the kind of absurd to the tragic, you know. Where I mean, I think there's one, there's one of the briefer moments in it is a guy that has to leave you, doesn't he, because his father's sick, and it's kind of like, it's almost like he's apologising to you. It's kind, of, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's fine. Maybe Ben can talk to this. Ben made a, a, a point of explaining to people what we were about. Yeah. Didn't you, Ben? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think we were very clear to people that we we weren't trying to set anybody up. You know, we weren't trying to uh, uh, make anybody look foolish. And, um, you know, I don't know if the rest of the guys agree with this, but... I spent a lot. Of, you know, we've all, all three of us have spent a lot of time in America, mm. and for me personally, when when we came to make the movie, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of Europeans. You know, a lot of bad feeling about America. I think, and people would say things to me in pubs like "Americans do this" or "Americans do that," and you'd be like, well, "You can't." You know, that's such a sweeping generalisation about a country. Um, the, you know, you can't say that. That's like saying, uh, I don't know, a French person is the same as a German person or something. It, 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 um, and so I, I think, you know, we, we, we went there with a sense of adventure and, uh, and we made it quite clear to people that, you know, we were not trying to set anybody up or make anybody look bad. Is, is that kind of what you mean, Steve? In terms yeah, of it, is, it is, because it, in the editing process, it's all too easy to make the most reasonable person look silly. And yeah. Before we went, all three of us decided that that wasn't the kind of project we were interested in. Mm. I mean, I, I spoke to, funnily enough, I, because we just showed the film in America, which was obviously incredibly nerve-wracking. Uh, you know, three British guys, you know, show a film to a load of Americans about their own country. And, I, you know, I found that incredibly nerve-wracking, I have to say. Um, and as an example, like, one gentleman came up to me afterwards and said... 
uh, and I think, you know, he was of a, um, a Native American heritage, and he said to me, what I really love about it is the fact that there are so many films that I see on television about Native Americans that are all really pessimistic. It's all people on the reservation being really poor or gambling or drinking. And he said, you've actually... You actually took a, a, a show the Native American guy in an incredibly positive way <laughs> about it, and you know, to be honest, with you, that hadn't really that. Hadn't, I don't know about you guys, but that hadn't occurred to me until he um, until he said that, and it, it, to me, that sort of um, actually, has, you know, made me feel quite proud. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I found um, that happened quite instinctively as we were going around was that the questions that we asked. Um, became more um, abstract, I guess. I, I mean, I suppose I, I found myself anyway initially asking people things like, uh, so how has the recession affected you? How are you coping with austerity? Uh, how did you get to be in X, wherever we were? How did they get to be living in that particular place? And then by the end of it, it was more a case of questions like, are you happy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I personally found that those got more interesting responses people if you ask it that nakedly one because they're american and friendly they'll answer it and not punch you on the nose and two they can go off in quite a philosophical or reflective direction if they want to you know if they're if they're of that ilk and um yeah i like that process the 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 things sort of became more open as it went on it felt yeah i I guess because i mean this is my opinion, obviously, not something you you set out to do, but I guess conscious the drama was a, was more about you and who you found, not about who you found and what they said. You were, you were allowed to offer that slice of life rather than trying to <clears throat> find the story. It, the story was you finding that person, so therefore you'd done the job, kind of thing. Mm. So there, there was no need to hoodwink someone into doing something exciting for the camera. True enough. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. I'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. One, one of the one of the real, I mean, and, and you you, t- you talk about America being that kind of vast vast country of kind of difference and not the same. But one of the th- one of the uniform things that comes out, and, and your Native American example is a good one, is is this lovely narrative of tolerance in the United States that you managed to find um, with the people you met. I think, and, it, and and I felt it kind of, and I might be wrong here. I don't know. So it's just like I say, it's just me having watched it. But it kind of pivots on that that ex Mormon fella. Um, outside the outside the Irish bar, who's now become an outspoken gay activist, you know, was a pastor. His thirteen-year-old son comes out, and and it's it's and that that was the first time. What I mean, I don't know how far into the film that is, but the first time I was watching it, going, what is it about the camera that makes people want to be so frank with you? I don't, I don't know, John. What do you think? Um, I don't know if it's about the camera. I, I think it might be less about the camera and more about Americans somehow. I, okay. I think I think maybe if that was a British <coughs> individual who'd had the same so, so same situation that he found himself in, he might be less um, amenable to expressing that so quickly. I mean, that was within minutes of meeting that guy that he was mm. talking about that. So, um, but I don't know. I haven't really dwelt on it. I'll have to think about that and. Um, in my camera might be the key. I don't know. Sorry, Steve. Go on. I was just saying. I think. I think a lot of it is about recovery. If, if, you, if you look back, some of the characters we met had overcome some demons, and it was almost as if we arrived at the time when they wanted to talk about it. So there was the 
you know, the pastor who tried to commit suicide, the, the, the Mormon guy who suddenly realized that, um, you know, his son was gay and he started a campaign uh, and was, was um, excommunicated. Um, there was the guy who, uh, you know, almost lost his mind because he'd had, it sounds crazy, but infected teeth. And, um, that is an amazing uh, story, by the way, Steve. Yeah, he developed some kind of septicemia. <clears throat> and, you know, he, he'd also sort of just recovered from that, wanted to talk about it. He, he'd heard voices telling him to kill people. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, we met a, a transsexual a French lady who had once cooked for Bill Clinton, um, who had, you know, she'd conquered a lot of demons and had never discussed her sex change operation and suddenly decided to tell us. And, and we didn't push for that, by the way. Mm. Um, and we found a lot of damaged people who'd come through the other side, I think, if, if in retrospect. Um, so while on the one hand, I think there is an openness without doubt uh, and a kindness about uh, Americans, and again, you can't generalize because there are bad people out there too. Mm. Um, but also, we, we might have been lucky. You know, some of the people we met were just, we, we met one guy who wasn't through the other side, a schizophrenic who couldn't afford his medication. And he was bordering a musician bordering on genius. Um, and John, in particular, treated him, I think, wonderfully. You know, we, at every step of the way, we were very concerned not to um, impact on people, or, or especially, you know, on, on people who were, were damaged. But the, John did a, a, a fantastic job of sensitively handling how we interviewed this chap. I don't know if you want to elaborate, John. Um. Yeah, I just liked Ambrose. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I, I think that's what what happened was um, you would instinctively gravitate towards the people you liked that you felt you you, you felt that you you could hear the click. Do you know what I mean with that person? And uh, they they were all very very easy to speak to. And I I I did find Ambrose very easy to speak to. It was slightly alarming when we got lost because I don't know how. To do it. I, how clear it is in the film, but you know, when one of us would be riding in the car with the current owner of the bill, the other two would be in the car that we hired, tailing the hero car, if you like. And um, at that point, I was with Ambrose, who, as Steve has pointed out, was a schizophrenic off his medication because he couldn't afford it at that time. And we'd always, we always stayed in touch with one another, but at this point, we, the two vehicles got lost from one another somewhere around the Golden Gate Bridge entering San Francisco. And um, Ben, I think, in the trailing car said, oh, we, we better call John just to see where he and Ambrose are. And they phoned the phone I had and then heard it ring because I'd left it in the dashboard of, of the car that the guys were in, at which point, you know, any connection we had was broken. In a foreign country, and I think the way it's about you left wallet in there as well, mate, and the other phone as well. You left everything in the flipping <laughs> compartment. And I think, yeah, basically, it was it was one of those exchanges where it happened very quickly. The guy's off, and somebody has to jump in the car with him. So, as Ben says, everything else got left behind. And I think we we connected again because I got to a payphone, and we we found each other at a Walmart or something, didn't we, in the city? And it was all happy days. But you know, different people took the strain at different times. Like, um, you know, passing the baton back to Steve. I guess that you know. It was, I think, the, the the relationship Steve developed with Jackie, the French man who is now an American female citizen. Steve was able to um, get that story from him, 
her um, in in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do. And likewise, Ben with Scotty, who talked about his own wretched upbringing and how he's correcting that in a new generation with the way he's bringing up his kids in the Midwest in a completely uh, different, more enlightened manner, you know. So, yeah, you just you click with different people and you go with them, I think. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Two, two, two messages that kind of stuck with me um, that came out of it. There was, there was the one in, I think it was Bodega Bay, where the guy says that happiness is a choice, which I thought was a nice way of, uh, of phrasing yeah. it. And then with your, with your transsexual French woman, um, the, the, the pulling apart of the difference between, I guess, America's natural want for no government and Europeans' love of bureaucracy... She described her situation as being, in the USA, she's got a choice to be who she wants, and elsewhere that has to be authorised before she can be it. Which I thought, was again, was a kind of... As a, as a, you know, when you're looking at American culture, I thought she, she nailed something there that was yeah. really quite stark in, in comparison between the two countries, because we're led to believe through a kind of, I guess... A, a European liberal sensibility that, you know, that America's a very pointed society, but clearly, from her experience... It's the opposite. I, I, it's really, I found that, I find that, you know, you've hit the nail on the head for me about the whole thing about the States, is that, for me, you know, we're constantly uh, assaulted, almost, by news clips of, I don't know, people blowing <coughs> up abortion clinics, or, you know, we see, like, the most extreme cases of intolerance constantly on the news, and... I remember being uh, in a bar, not filming this. I was, you know, one night when we'd finished, we were in a, a bar in Nebraska, and I, I spoke to this uh, woman in a sort of late fifties, I guess, who said to me, she said, on paper, if you look at Nebraska, we are a conservative state, where we you know we tend to vote Republican. That's what we are. But she said, actually, within the state itself with the way that we interact with each other, we are very tolerant. And I was like, well, how, you know, I sort of asked her, how does that work? And she said, well, you have to be, really. She said, because, you know, you might, if your nearest neighbour's 50 miles away, you you might need them to pull you out of a snowdrift. And if you've been going around slagging them off because they're gay or something, they're not necessarily going to do that. And I think that there is this... You know, th- th- there is a sort of, you know, acceptance within certain parts. I mean, like Steve said, I'm sure there are people that are, you know, obviously there are people that are deeply intolerant, but that was not the experience that I had. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure there were many people that we spoke to politically, I am miles apart from. Um, but, you know, in that moment, there was mutual respect between us, and I think that's uh, that's how we managed to make the film, basically. It was like, you know, yeah, we, I may disagree with you about certain things, but in essence, we're all people. We can all sit down, we can have a beer and a cup of coffee and get on. Yeah, you know, the, we, I think we should elaborate with the Jackie thing, just, just very briefly. The diff- she was applying for a new driving licence. Mm. So, so, you know, on it, it said sex, male or female. Mm. She said that in France, she would have had to apply for permission to change that, whereas in America it was simply a matter of informing the authorities. 
that, that's what she was trying to say. In other words, you didn't have to ask for permission to be, to change sex. They actually had a form for it, didn't they, in the DVLA or something? Pro probably the same here, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but she, I mean, she did. She elaborated on the point that she said it would it would end up being a trip to the gynaecologist and blah blah blah. Whereas in America, it literally was I'm a woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think that's one of the enduring, um, wonderful things about the United States, isn't it? It feels it's big enough for you to daydream that you could go out into the wilderness and have this life away from authority. And I think maybe, um, you know, in a globalized world where everything's on camera, obviously all that is shrunk away. But there is still something about the scale and, and beauty and majesty of that place that enables you to to sort of have those fantasies, you know. Uh, what was what was the relationship to the of the music choices you made in the journey? Um, was was they did they bear any resemblance at all, or were they just after afterthoughts to fit the film? And I'm thinking in particular, I was I was that, that question was raised in mind when you've got that kind of punk music playing over your trip as you head towards California. I mean, that was just one of those decisions you make in the edit where you try, you know. Uh, 30 bloody things and only one <laughs> <laughs> only one pleases everybody or whatever it is or what one just sticks out and it was that that was a track by wire actually mm. we put on there that we we just liked more than anything else you know i mean it took a long time to edit this film as you might imagine because you're yeah. generating hundreds and hundreds of hours and stuff like that and so um that that section took a while to distill down in, into such a, a short space of time, and it just felt, didn't it, Ben, that that track worked, you know, whereas others didn't. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, it, and it, yeah, you know, there's pacing issues at times where you'd go, well, that's the piece of music, you know, for that. Um, and also, it seemed like that that little section was kind of strangely as much about us as anything else, wasn't it? It was the you know, without giving too much away, that was our really long drive. Uh, and, um, you know, it seemed quite appropriate for, you know, 340-somethings to have a bit of old-school English punk rock over the top of it. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 it was, you know, there was... It was an. It was a. It was a. It was a long edit. It was a difficult edit, and you know, for those people that are interested in editing, it 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 was not. Um, you know, not, I, I I was wrong. I thought it would be simple. If I'm honest with you, I I thought it would be a really simple edit for the simple reason that it's chronological. Mm. You know, you go well. I've got day one. I've got. I've got to go through to day thirty. But actually, that was incredibly bloody naive of me, and I should have known better. Um, because, you know, if, if you're doing a documentary uh, with somebody and, you know, you film them for 30 days, let's say, if, if, if they don't say anything particularly interesting on the 15th day, you just don't put it in the film. You just go, OK, well, I'll just drop that bit. We don't need it, you know. Yeah. But obviously having to follow something chronologically, you can't suddenly go, well, well, you know, I'd rather give this person more time and get rid of that person. I mean, obviously you can, you can adapt. You can say, right, he can have five minutes, he can have two minutes. But you can't suddenly throw days out of the window because the audience will go, um, hang on a minute, I thought you were in Minnesota and now you're in Texas. How the hell did you get there? So it... It brought its own, you know, the, the, the fact that it was uh, chronological 
and had to be chronological, brought its own problems. Uh, but, you know, problems that were fun to solve. So, Stuart, so, the, the, Stuart, the real reason uh, yeah. the, the edit was a pain for Ben was that he'd never edited anything with me before and he hadn't had any idea what a nightmare I am in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the truth for that, isn't it? Was that, an- was that answer loaded with subtext then? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Like, two years in the same room with somebody. <laughs> anyway, so we've, well, we've... I thought one month in a car with you two was bad enough, but you know, <laughs> then, then the edit happened. <laughs> no, I would, I would swap. I would, I would do a, a two months in a car with both of you than do two years in an edit again, mate. But, yeah. uh, but also, I mean, in fairness, it has to be said that um, you know, just, we, you know, we self financed this film, yeah. um, and you know, we. We kick-started uh, for the post-production. Um, you know, no one was going to... You know, it's very difficult to, to raise finance to go and film something like this because people would say, well, what do you think is going to happen? And you go, well, we don't know. So you know, <laughs> it, it's pretty hard to get money for something where you've no idea if it's even going to work or not. And as such, you know, the edit did take a long time because, you know, we all have to pay our mortgages and earn a living. So at various points, we would have to stop... And, and, and go and earn some cash, you know. But like I say, I, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think we would have been able to do it any other way, really. No, I don't no. think anybody I, would I, give I us the that's like, It's probably a common story for all self-funded projects, isn't it? You know, yeah. they stop and start over a long period of time. Well, mm-hmm. you know, hey, yeah. when you were in the edit, what, what, what? How did you determine the kind of narrative that you, you that you? Because you've you've got what you've got, as it were. And you didn't set out to find anything out. There wasn't other than where does a ten dollar bill go? Because there are there are ins- there are inserts that aren't the people that had the ten dollar bill in there, which tell us part of your journey as much as they tell us about the journey of the ten dollars. I'm thinking of obviously the um, the chief of logistics for NATO you met, um, yeah. obviously the Mormon guy who interestingly. But as that conversation ends, you go, after him telling you his traumatic tale, you then go, you're going to have to give me a name because I don't even know your name or something. I think it was yeah, right. yeah. You know, and obviously they weren't people that had the $10. So they were part of your narrative. So how, how did you set about taking all that footage and then going, and, and instant, interestingly as well, I think that, um, I'm just looking at my notes now, where, where, you, where you go from the Mormon guy, you then go to the Irish bar owner who's then telling us about how Harvey Milk was a hero. So we've gone from, the revelation of a son being gay to the to the story of a man who comes out. I mean, I think those the, 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 <laughs> threads, yeah. the, the threads like that that occurred. So, for example, uh, the the son coming out and then the the kind of fond recollections of of Harvey Milk. That yeah. was the kind of thematic link that was just happenstance. You know, that was that was fortunate that that happened in that way, or interesting that it happened in that way. But um, the other part of the question about how did you go about ordering the things, I mean, like Ben said, it really, it, it was laid down chronologically, the things that happened day by day had to be presented day by day. And that that is the main thing that, that is the main obstacle that actually we had. What seemed like initially that would be an asset to the edit became really quite hard for the edit because in in a drama you can you can take out a scene if it's not working or you can reorder scenes and so on and so forth. You couldn't do that with this or you would you would be messing with the chain of events and you couldn't do it. It's linear. Once you fired that thing, you just have to follow it. So actually 
instead of being able to take something out if it wasn't interesting, we would have to just suppress its duration and, and speed through that moment. Or if, as you've also pointed out, the things that were most interesting were things um, in your peripheral vision, i.e. people that you were meeting um, as a result of somebody nearby having the bill, or in the case of Kevin with his... Um, condition derived from his tooth condition it was because his mother had the bill do you see what i mean so yeah, we yeah. were we were very open to the things happening in the periphery of the bill and sometimes they came into the fore in in the edit um yeah yeah and the journey was uh it was six thousand was six thousand six hundred miles yeah so you know that that's that you meet a lot of people, and and the idea that we should ignore them all is, just wasn't a possibility because they were so interesting. Mm. I mean, there are things. I mean, there are there there are things. You know, there, there is a quite a lot of stuff um, that you know, but uh, we found deeply fascinating that people told us and other people that we met and stuff like that. That you know, just had to go on the cutting room floor, unfortunately. But I, I suspect you know. That's the same with any filmmaking process. At some point, you just go, "Well, actually, you know what? We, we can't have a three-hour movie. Yeah, you know, we have to we have to get rid of some stuff. Uh, kill your babies, as they call it. You know, so um, you know there was a lot of stuff that had to go on the floor of people we met. But um, that's so just the pirates, the pirates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the pirates? You tell him that, Steve. Oh well, we were in. Um... Oh, God. Was it South Dakota? Rapid City. Rapid City. We were staying in the hotel where they made uh, North by Northwest. Um, And and, um, we were asking people where was a good place to drink. Uh, And um, people wouldn't tell you where was a good place to drink. All they would say is, whatever you do, don't go to such and such a bar. The Brass Rail. The Brass Rail. (laughs) So, of course, we went there. It was down a dark alleyway. And there's all these guys um, kind of dressed up like pirates. But also, there were Americans just speaking in Cornish accents. <laughs> and they, t- they told us they were pirates. And basically, eventually, after they, after they stopped threatening to kill us, um, they, um, we realized that they, they thought of themselves as pir- pirates because they, they rode freight trains. And, and that was their, I mean, they couldn't have been farther from the sea. But um, to find a bunch of guys um, in America speaking with Cornish accents... Uh, but the thing is, you know, we, 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 uh, the journey hadn't started. I don't think it had added guys, and, and there were nothing to do with the $10 bill, but it was all part of the fun. <laughs> now, now it, did, it wasn't without incident, the trip, obviously, and I think 30 days following $10 bill would be s- silly if it didn't. Um, and at two extremes, you've got, you've got the, the moment where, with Sophie, where it kind of seems to grind to a halt. And I guess this is where, when you were t- talking at the start about it, 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 we didn't anticipate we'd be part of the film, but obviously you have to become part of the film to tell us what happens so that we can make the leap to the next stage where you move on, where I think you almost railroad your own documentary, I think. And then, then you have, I think I remember if it's before or after, but you've then got the point where you have 24 hours or more where nobody actually gets the $10 bill. Do you want to talk about first the self, what, what, what was sort of, what, what was said maybe that was that was going to make make the documentary not carry on. 
or not make Sophie carry on with it, I suppose. I think what happened at that moment, that, that's an incident that happened uh, in a bar somewhere in Texas where a woman called Sophie got hold of the bill um, and had agreed to be the next recipient of it and would hang on to it until she chose to pass it on. But a friend of hers got it into her head and uh, convinced her that we were... Uh, ne'er-do-well, untrustworthy filmmakers, and she, th this individual um, knew all about filmmaking because her brother, I think it was, was a filmmaker, and she knew the power of editing, and what we were going to do was that we were going to make, we were going to make her look incredibly foolish in the film, and uh, this person wanted to take the bill and destroy it so that we wouldn't be able to contaminate any other people with our presence and our stupid idea. You know, she, and she was drunk and uh, getting a little bit crazy and a bit high on her own sort of uh, ideas and stuff. And, and it really started to affect her friend Sophie, who until that point just thought, oh yeah, that's a cute, fun idea, I'll do it. And it ended up being a very long, I think like almost two hours long, kind of debate trying to calm that person down and reassure that person that actually um, we were only well-intentioned and there was going to be no, you know, bad things done to her friend Sophie. And and I think we, we never really convinced her, but I think we convinced Sophie enough to listen to us rather than her uh, four sheets to the wind friend. It was ironic, really, wasn't it, that the person that caused us the most trouble was actually from England... Yeah, I was going to. I was going to add that actually. <laughs> yeah, she was. So Sophie, who we eventually get to meet the next day properly in the film, yeah. um, when she hands on the bill, uh, reveals that she's an English student, exchange student in the United States, and the person that she was with was the same thing, an English exchange student over there. Yeah. Uh, so, so what was when you had the when you had the kind of hiatus where nobody took the bill? What was what was going through your mind at that point? Um, an awful lot of coffee. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, many, many pots of coffee. Um, the shots of which that Ben took on his camera, he to this day is still gutted that he didn't get into the into the finished cut of the film. Hey, it was one of the best shots of a coffee pot you will ever see. It was worthy of Edward Hopper, and I still still am not happy that that shot is not in the film. Okay, all right, DVD extras. That's what they're for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, seriously, I can't. I mean, we we just sort of sat around and chatted, really, didn't we? I mean, there was always like a slight edge because you, you you kind of you know you're having a conversation with the three of us waiting for this bill, but obviously one of us has always got to keep an eye <coughs> on uh, on the till, you know, because of, of you know by that point. You know, we've made a relationship with the person behind the counter. So they've said to us, look, we'll, I'll tip you the wink when the, the $10 is coming out. And, um, you know, you would be quite surprised. I mean, I, I have to say, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I, I was quite surprised sometimes how long it took for $10 to actually come out of a till. But I suppose you've got to spend $20, uh, sorry, you've got to spend less than $10 with a $20 note or a $50 note, um, and obviously so many people use plastic now, so when I think about it, it sort of makes sense, but, um, you know, we just sat there, chewed the fat, and, um, you know, sometimes we'd go off and, you know, film other people that were around, if there were any, and sometimes we 
discovered that we all went to see Echo and the Bunny Men play at your race course, even though no, we, we didn't have a show at the same time. <laughs> well, during one of those periods, um, I think was I think well, one of you guys met the guy who'd played with Elvis. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. That's <laughs> right. That was it. That was in the cafe of one of the truck stops. Yeah. But it was during one of our the long waits, wasn't it? I think yeah. waiting for the bill to move on. I mean, one of the good things that I really like about America, which is you know, the difference between here and there, is you remember we we explained to somebody. Uh, and they were com- they were utterly shocked when we told them that in England you pay for each coffee that you get. They couldn't believe that, you know, because in America you they just keep, you pay for a coffee, don't you? And they just keep they just top it up basically. Um, so you know, obviously you could sit there and just drink coffee endlessly. But also that all those truck stops actually have waiting areas where you're allowed to sit down and rest and wait and you don't necessarily have to buy any food or anything like that um so there was you know the good thing i suppose was that there was always places for us to wait we didn't have to sit in the car all day long although we did have to sleep in the car one night we did have to sleep in the car one night. and that that was that was a that was a very unfortunate olfactory experience <laughs> I still dispute the idea that I was the loudest snorer. I think I think that's unfair. The dispute is whether you were the loudest snorer in America or the loudest. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the moments you show in the of yourselves in the hotel and it being night and answering the phone and stuff is that is that the kind of bat phone going the ten dollars being spent everyone get up yeah. Yeah. It is really. It was because you you were in contact with Scotty that morning, weren't you, Steve? Yes. Yeah, and and I just rang you guys. Said scramble. Scotty's on the move. Yeah. Um, we were on the road within five minutes, weren't we? Yeah. Steve, what? How how did the experience of the documentary differ from your experience going out doing this experiment as a as a journalist with your sort of pad and paper? Um, it, it was it was actually very different. Uh, on the one hand, I, I, it was very 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 nice to have company. Mm. Um, because when you're following a $10 bill, if somebody says to you, look, leave me alone now, I'm going home, uh, I'm going to see my kids, I'm going to bed, I'm not going to spend the money. Um, sometimes people would invite you to stay with them, but most times you're on the road looking for a motel and you check in, you make sure your phone was charged in case they called you because they were on the move, that kind of thing. But you spent an awfully long time on your own. Um, I'm okay, I'm okay with my, my company, um, um, but it was much more fun being with the guys. So that was the difference. Um, the other thing was, um, I think, on the whole, I, I was able to get slightly closer to some people because there was just one of me. Um, I'm thinking in particular, during my journey, um, a blues singer was paid in cash by a bar uh, one night. And um, we became really quite close friends, um, which meant that he delayed the spending of the bill so I would hang out long enough to see his next gig with his band. Um, and while on the one hand you're thinking, I want this thing to get moving, on the other hand you feel really flattered that somebody should think highly enough of you to keep you around. Um, but I think that the greatest difference was you know, being, just laughing. You know, we had an awful lot of laughs, and, and I think that made it on the whole much more enjoyable. But I don't think that, that sort of seems like a good point there, that you know, people did. You know, uh, but you know, people went out of their 
way, some people went out of their way to use the bill uh, in a way to show us something. Yeah. You know? um, and that's, it's not, a, I don't know about whether you guys, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a film about money, is it? It's a film about people. And, and sometimes people went, right, I really want to show these guys this thing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's what became interesting for me. Actually, yeah, no, that, you remind me, that, that's something, again, that I took from the film. It was, because you're allowing, you're following the money and therefore following the person that gets it, what you're getting each time is what people want to show you about America. And that often includes what story they might tell you, too. So, mm. at one extreme, you'll get people who go, right, I've got $10, I'll take you to my friend's craft shop because I want to show my friend's craft shop on. Um, then you've got the, um, the guy that takes you to the music centre. The, um, the is it? I can't remember which way around it is now. It's the, the jazz guy gets the ten pound, ten dollars, doesn't he? Um, yes. Oh, it's, the, it's, it's the guy who gets it's your uh, Ambrose, isn't it? Who gets the picks? And he takes me, and then you get that music center, and then you get that amazing story of a guy who spent nineteen months traveling from Iran to America. Mm. I mean, this is kind of it's it's a kind of insight that you know no survey of American citizens is ever going to find out. No. no. The, the thing is, well, some people if they want to be really cynical, um, and I haven't encountered that much, actually, about the film at all, but if people did want to be cynical, they would say, oh, but come on, this isn't the true journey of a $10 bill. Um, and there's a part, you, 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 I liken it to, you know the way um, quantum physicists talk about the experiment, the Schrodinger's cat experiment, where hmm. there's a cat in a, in a box, and under the laws of quantum physics, it can be alive and dead at the same time. You don't actually know until you open the box. So what they say is that your actual presence affects the outcome of the experiment. Well, I think you can say that with this. The fact that we were there meant that, yes, possibly people didn't bank the $10 bill. You know, maybe they would have done if we hadn't been there. But in a way, that's not our problem. Our problem was just to follow and observe. And it, it, as a vehicle, I can't think of a better one that would give you the, uh, you know, the possibility to get into people's lives and see so many different slices of America. Well, I think, I think as well, you've got the, the fact is you're asking, you're, you're almost asking people to play with you, aren't you? Because you, you, in a way, you're, you're, you're just going around America having fun and seeing what happens. So in a way, they, for them to play their part properly is to want to join in that fun, isn't it? It is, but also because of the rules, <coughs> you have to go along with whatever it is that they choose to do. So on the one hand, they've got their choice. But we have no choice at all. Um, but we did we did have the choice to choose not to interfere, uh, and because of that, it means it, it it is random in its own way. Right. I'm, I'm conscious that we've not said when and where people can see this. So, who wants to tell people how they can watch Follow the Money? I'd love to be able to tell you how you can watch Follow the Money, but at the moment we're still um, we we have a sales agent, uh, Devil Works, who are brilliant, and they're just uh, negotiating at the moment with um, getting some kind of distribution for the film. In the meantime, it's still going around uh, film festivals, and we're just waiting to hear about some more at the moment. So yeah, not a lot of uh, avenues right now for viewing the film, but we hope to have some news on that pretty soon okay so we'll put we'll put a web link or a facebook page or anything like that in the show notes so people can follow the news if if this is of interest to them yeah absolutely and we did just win best documentary at the louisville international film festival fantastic any any other any other fake film festival successes you want to talk about or any dates you can tell me about early days mate early days 
what, what dates have you got in the diary you can tell us? We haven't at the moment. That's what we're waiting on. We're waiting on we've uh, we're waiting on Devilworks to sort out some various bits and pieces. So the minute we know, we'll let you know. Okay. Well, nice. we'll look. Didn't uh, didn't we get an honourable mention as well? We did. There was an honourable mention in a thing called the LA Film Review. Yeah. Awards. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, I I, I really enjoyed the documentary. I, thought, I mean, I've been to America myself a few times, and I thought I thought you captured something really unique, um, but but equally. Equally unique and, and unsurprising because obviously it's got a lot of great people there and interesting people and and I think because you chose not to interfere with them, it was chance for them to tell you and I think that's what the film tells quite says quite honestly I think. Um, so good luck with uh, getting that out to a bigger audience. Thanks, Thanks Stuart. Thank you. And listen, can I just point out something that your podcast podcast listeners might not uh, be aware of? That on your thumbnail picture that comes up on my Skype, I don't know about you fellas, but you seem to be wearing some kind of taekwondo martial arts boxing gear and are staring straight into camera and you look to me like you're going to punch my head off. I've got, I have got boxing gloves on, you're right. <laughs> and uh, it's quite intimidating, but you're a very friendly fella. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge a person by his thumbnail. Yeah. <laughs> or his boxing gloves. Yeah. <laughs> I, may, <yeah. laughs> I may have to change that now. I'm going to be very subconscious of it. I, I, I... It's quite scary. No, it's impressive. Don't be worried about it. It's impressive. If you met me, I'm soft as shite, to be honest with you. <laughs> I went to a boxing club for about eight weeks. In box office. Did you see what I did with that? Hey! <laughs> and on that joke, uh, thanks very much, lads, for your time. Pleasure, mate. Nice one. Yeah, thanks, Joe. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.